Good morning, Lighthouse. I'm so glad that you're joining us. Um, and my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. And we are taking a pause from our regularly scheduled ACT series in order to just sit with what comes up. We know that this season is bringing up a whole lot of stuff. And so we wanted to give some space to acknowledge what's going on inside of us and to, to just try to begin to work through it. And toward that end, I've invited my, my wife and my partner in life here to, to join me in this conversation. Kathy's not only helping um, kind of journey through this adventure called Raising Kids and living in Southern California and pastoring a church, but she's also a licensed marriage and family therapist, which means that she actually went to school to understand a little bit more of what a lot of us are feeling. Um, now, I, I should probably mention at the outset that this is not something Kathy's all that comfortable with. Uh, she's typically used to sitting in front of one or two other people as opposed to a camera and, and a whole lot of other people. And so uh, the only reason that she's here right now is two things. One, she loves you. And two, I'm very, very persistent. So thank you for saying yes. Yes, both of those are very true. <laughs> How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm okay. All I'm right. happy to be here. I'm happy that you are here. Yeah. Um, so last week, if you happen to, to miss it, last week we began this conversation. I had a friend of mine, Bill Dogdrum, join me. And Bill and I began to grapple with this idea of lament. And lament is something that's found throughout Scripture, predominantly in the Psalms, and there's a whole book called Lamentations. And really the point of that conversation was it's okay to feel. It's okay to cry out of the depths of whatever it is we're feeling. And so we don't need to give ourselves a hard time. We can sit with it. We can be honest with it. Our, our prayers aren't a time to try to polish up what we're saying and, and put on a, a smiling face. God knows our hearts, and so we can just come just as we are, because he's a big enough God to handle our emotion. And if you missed that conversation, I encourage you to go back and watch it. All you need to do is go to lighthousecommunity.com, and you can watch that. Uh, there's a, a link that says uh, archived messages. You can click on that, and you can find that and any other message that we've live-streamed. But today, uh, we are going to continue to process through uh, the, the emotions that are coming up, and particularly, we're going to lean into this idea of grief. So I think it might be helpful right at the outset for us to define our terms. So Kat, um, how would you define grief? What is it? Right. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways to understand grief. There's a lot of different types of grief. But I think if we were to look at grief at just on the most basic level, it's just our natural response to loss. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's natural. It's God-given. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. And it's one of those things that it, it can be emotional. Yeah. So it can be hard because sometimes we, you know, it's not one of the things we can, we necessarily choose to have in our lives. And so we don't feel much control over it. Um, I like how the author of unintended sorrow, um, yeah, unintended sorrow states it. He says that loss is the absence of something we were once attached to. Mm. And grief is the rope burn from when it's pulled from our grasp. Yeah. So again, this concept of it's not really our choice mm -hmm. most of the time when our circumstances of living in a broken world where we just step into grief, yeah. you know, and it's the emotional suffering due to that absence, whatever's pulled from our grasp, right? You know, that's, that's really helpful. Just that, that picture of 
lost, and I think we've all lost quite a few things in this season. Some of us have lost a sense of security. Right. Uh, some of us... A sense of normalcy. A sense of being able to walk into any store at any time to find anything that you need. And, right. Um, some of us have lost jobs. Right. Livelihoods. Right. Uh, and whatever it happens to be, we've had a lot of things pulled from our grasp. And I love that right, right. picture of the rope burn being the, the, the physical, emotional kind of effect of it. Absolutely. And um, I would add that the more significant the loss, mm-hmm. the more intense the grief, because that's just natural. Because it's God-given. God gave us emotions. He's emotional. Um, their culture was able to just kind of sit in, in, in their emotions and, and it was a part of their lives. Whereas sometimes we separate it out. You're talking about the Jewish culture was more comfortable. The Jewish culture. Yeah. So grief really affects us on all levels. How can Mm -hmm. it not? So physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, I think physically, if we feel tired, if we feel maybe ill sometimes, sometimes it's just related to those things that are stirring up Mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally, the malaise, the disillusionment, maybe the despair, all of these things that come up that are natural and normal to um, experience um, Mm -hmm. in this process. And then spiritually too, I think it's important to mention that a lot of us in our spiritual growth, um, when we go through grief and we enter into it and we allow God's presence to be with us, there's this natural process sometimes of questioning and, and of doubt that is okay. I think sometimes we fear that. But um, I know sometimes, you know, we've looked at people in there, you know, as they grow up and even in the teenage years, and we celebrate when they start to question, they doubt, because that's just the next level of growth and learning in our spiritual Mm -hmm. walk. So all of these areas are normal and okay. And so what I'm hearing you say is it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to ignore it, pretend that they're not there, almost like it wouldn't do us a whole lot of good to ignore the fact that we've got these rope burns on our hands. If we acknowledge what we're feeling, we can really begin to walk through them and heal from them. Right. 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 Awesome. Well, we are going to really dive deeply into how we can begin to grieve or walk through our grief. But in order to really found this conversation theologically, I'd I'd really like to look at Jesus and how he walked through grief. And there's a, a beautiful picture of it found in Matthew chapter 14. So I encourage you to grab your Bible and turn with me there to Matthew 14. While you're doing it, let me give you just a little bit of context. Jesus was the son of God. He was divine, but he also took on human flesh and was born fully human. And that means that he was born into a family. He had siblings. He had parents. uh, He had extended family. And one of his extended family was a guy named John. We know him as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist wasn't just Jesus's cousin. He was also the forerunner, the one who prepared Jesus for ministry, really inaugurated Jesus's ministry. We see that taking part when Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And John goes, no, 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 I shouldn't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, this is a, a fitting way to begin this public ministry. And so Jesus is baptized. It's a beautiful picture of John the Baptist being there and the Father and the Holy Spirit participating in Jesus's beginning of ministry. But we know that it's not always so rosy. You see, John was the kind of person who wasn't afraid to call people out. Didn't matter what position of authority they happened to find themselves in. And one of the people he called out was a guy named Herod. Herod was Rome's chosen caretaker of that region. He had a lot of power. And when John began to call Herod out on some of the 
sinful choices that he was making, Herod didn't take kindly to it. And so he arrested John and subsequently had him beheaded, murdered him. And it's into that that we're going to pick up this conversation in Matthew chapter 14. We'll start in verse 12. After John was beheaded, John's disciples came and they took his body and they buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now let's pause there for a second. Why would you say Jesus is kind of pulling away from all the ministry that's going on uh, to a solitary place? Well, I just love this because it's such a good example and a modeling of when we are dealing with deep grief, Mm -hmm. um, that it is important to make space for it. Mm -hmm. So what I see Jesus doing here is making space to tend to his sorrow, to tend to... um, all, all that would be bubbling up that would be normal and natural for losing someone he dearly loved. Yeah. I love his humanity in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, he, it's a lot of times we do that and I can see him doing that to just again, tend to it and make space for this new painful reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I really do think that he, there were so many things and so many people clamoring for his attention I think that this was a beautiful picture of Jesus's humanity. I'm feeling deeply. I need space to process through all of these emotions that are bubbling up. And so he gets his disciples, sticks them in a boat, and sets off across the Sea of Galilee to find a place where he can be alone for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, but I think this is kind of natural in life, life doesn't always allow us the space, or at least there are things that compete with his desire to grieve. In Jesus's instance, um, when he starts heading across, people find out that he's going somewhere else. They want more of him. And so they go by foot ahead of him. And so we read in verse 13, the second half of it. Upon hearing that Jesus was going across the sea, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So when Jesus gets to this lonely, solitary place, he's met by Thousands of people, crowds of people clamoring for his attention. And when Jesus landed and he saw this large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. That's really interesting to me because I don't know about you, but I know that when I'm feeling deeply, Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of left of me to give. And I would probably see these crowds and just go, oh gosh, seriously? Can I not get a minute? And yet Jesus has compassion on them. And he, he's almost, he's interruptible in the midst of his grief. What does that mean that he has compassion on him? Well, I mean, in this, I see his deity and his humanity because there's so many places in scripture where it speaks of God's compassion towards us. And, you know, I, I looked a little bit in it, but not too much, but it's just this, this, this thing of being able to see someone else and join them in their emotional suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually oriented around an action when it comes to all the places that you see God or Jesus, you know, kind of meeting people in God in the Old Testament with Israel or, um, you know, in the New Testament. And so I see that piece that's just so consistent Mm -hmm. of our God. Um, and I think it's what we need as we draw into solitude with him is that compassion and that self-compassion. 
but I also see his humanity and it makes me think, huh, in his humanity, what, what caused him to be able to, you know, maybe he felt frustrated. Maybe he felt kind of, you know, I mean, all these, but he, it, it says specifically, he was moved with compassion in the midst of his sorrow that he had space for that. Um, and again, it brings me to, um, you know, Isaiah speaks of Jesus being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mm -hmm. Am I right with that scripture? Isaiah 53. Yes. And so that also says to me that his life, it's going back to what grief is. It just is his life. It wasn't separated. I was integrated. So he was constantly just aware and in tune with what was going on with him. He went away when he needed to, he Mm -hmm. prayed when he needed to. And so I would say it, it really goes back to me to what they said was the greatest of the commandments. Mm-hmm. You know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, strength, mm-hmm. and love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. So I think is, um, it's hard for me to explain, but I think that Jesus was so um, acquainted with his mm-hmm. sorrows that there was, there was space to expand. I think sometimes we don't have space to expand yeah. because in our, in our culture, we're told to, you know, just put it down a little bit. Don't feel, um, you can feel a little bit, but not too much. Yeah. And so there's, I think there's a space of intimacy with self and just acknowledging what's going on. And then intimacy with God that really expands us to wow. receive God's compassion yeah. that he so readily gives and to have self-compassion. And in those places, we can actually see and join people in their suffering. Hmm. So it's almost as if, just to use the analogy of a bucket, um, when we go through grief and our lives are jostled a little bit, it's almost like the bucket gets emptied out and there's not a whole lot left in there. And what we have, it's almost like I need this time and space for me. And in the midst of that, we almost resent people who are asking, I mean, we're, we're dealing with this. 24 seven with our kids. They're constantly needy. And we have emotions that are coming up. There's, they're making demands on our bucket of, of presence and time and energy. And it almost, there are moments where I feel resentful towards our kids. If I can just be bluntly honest, I I feel resentful that they're constantly needing us, but the reality is that they are. Um, And with Jesus, there were people making demands constantly, but the fact that his bucket was being replenished, through right. his relationship with God. This isn't the only time that Jesus goes to a solitary place to spend time with God. He's doing right. it on a regular basis. We see, especially as the crowds keep asking more of him, he does it more intentionally, getting away to the lonely places, the solitary places to pray. That refills his bucket, reminds him who he is and what he's about. So that when those crowds are saying, we need you, we need something, there's something left to pour out of. It's almost like his time with God becomes the well that refills his bucket so that he has something to pour out. Right. And, and I'll add to that, um, that I think it also speaks to, and it's such a good modeling of boundaries because he had space and room for others. He, he had this great compassion of joining in, you know, and seeing them suffer. I mean, he said, he, he saw that there was sick. He saw, you know, he went and healed them mm-hmm. and then they needed food, you know, but it, it all took place within like that same day where he was still, you know, this wasn't like a week or anything. Yeah. He still got away. He's still, you know, when, and I think you'll probably get well, to let's, it. Let's, you but, want to turn to that? Well, well, 
Yeah, we can. But let, just let me just. <laughs> yes, you go. <laughs> he he was able to. Um, he was able to not neglect his mm. own needs. He was able to say, "I'm going to send you away now. Yeah. I'm going to send the people away. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send the disciples away. Yep. I'm going to go and to a place alone, and I'm going to pray." Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Go ahead and turn to verse 22. Immediately after Jesus feeds 5,000 people and, and spends the day with them, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him. He's like, I love you guys. Get out of here. And then he looks at the crowds. He's like, I love you guys, but go. And then after that, he goes up on the mountain, it says, by himself. And he prayed. Yeah. So Jesus was interruptible. He allowed himself to care for, to tend to the needs of the people around him. As we, as parents have to do, as many of us are having to do throughout the day, there are distractions and interruptions that come. That's just a natural part of life. But even after that, Jesus still is willing to take the time, to make the time to grieve. And I love that because I recognize within myself, I don't allow myself that a lot of the time. A lot of the time when I feel something welling up, I allow myself to get distracted. I move on. And it's really hard to get back to that place where I can allow myself to grieve. So let me ask you this. Why is it that we allow ourselves to get distracted? Right. I think it's a part of normal life. I think it's overwhelming um, when we're feeling something. And I don't really think that, you know, we live in a culture again that, you know, kind of it's by no fault of anyone's, you know, it's just how we've grown, um, grown up and it's like, okay, you can feel some, but let's move on. So we haven't really been taught that this is normal. So instead I think we connect it to this false kind of negative belief Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of us can identify with that, um, there, there's something wrong with me or I'm normal. Maybe I won't be, um, you know, kind of accepted or, or validated, okay. right? And um, that it's not acceptable to to feel pain, to feel deeply. To yeah, at least for maybe, um, it depends on the type of grief, mm-hmm. right? Because some of, you know, there's this thing called disenfranchised grief. It's just where some types of grief, uh, society doesn't really um, validate. So it just depends on what type of grief we're experiencing. If we're sharing with others and then we feel kind of shut down. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not taught that actually it's normal. It's a normal, just uh, part of the process. I think what we're taught is, is that there's a separation. I was reading in a book that was just, uh, just so apropos with this. It said, we're taught that there's this normal, happy life over here. And then it's separated by this unwelcomed guest mm. sometimes that comes in that we just need to get over. So the pain is the unwelcome guest the that we treat as somebody that doesn't belong in our life. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. You know, just because we haven't been taught this, um, maybe we haven't exercised that muscle enough that mm. this is like a normal process, then what happens is, is we tend to um, push it down mm-hmm. and it just becomes incomplete, mm. incomplete grief. So when we have that incomplete grief, right. when we don't allow ourselves to walk through it, to process through it, however long that process may take, right. what is the cost? Yeah. Um, well, 
since God made us emotional beings, right? Pain usually comes in that way. I think the the cost is is that the pain's got to go somewhere, mm. and um, it can you know it can just turn into more what I would say are maladaptive kind of uh, behaviors or when you say maladaptive or what feelings, do you mean? yes, and that is more of just um, having these relation uh, where things come up in relationships these. Um, kind of unhealthy patterns can emerge. Okay. 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 Or we might move towards addiction mm. or there might just be more mental health issues. Okay. Right. And this is a broken world. I think we're all going to feel those at some, some way or another. Um, but it's, it's a lot because of avoidance of pain. And I don't think we understand that the way that growth occurs is to actually move towards mental and spiritual growth happens when we are able to face our pain and our problems. I love that. You were sharing with me a quote from M. Scott Peck from that book. Uh, what is it? The, the Road Less the road Taken. Less can you can you share that with us? Sure, sure. It's um, the tendency to avoid problems and the emo- emotional suffering that's an inherent in them is the basis for all mental uh, mental human illness. Okay. Right. So, you know, not to be scared of that. It's just, it's just another way of saying that if we don't tend to those things, if we don't see problems as a way of life, Mm -hmm. um, if we don't integrate our experiences, if we become like kind of fragmented, like I I can't accept that part. So I have lots of different parts over here. Mm -hmm. Then, then we start not being able to really be integrated and, um, you know, and just kind of live in truth. So what I'm hearing in that quote and why it resonates really deeply for me is that the, what it's saying is the, the pain isn't the problem. Pain is a natural part of living in a broken, sin-scarred world. The pain's not the problem. It's the avoidance of pain that ultimately leads to the problems. Because if I feel deep pain and I don't want to feel it, then I'm going to run to... I have to be in a relationship, otherwise I'm not okay. Or I have to run to drugs or alcohol or some other painkiller to anesthetize whatever I'm feeling, or I have to turn to other things and even stuff that the DSM would identify as really unhealthy ways of life flow out of an attempt to avoid pain. When in reality, health and what your profession is, is about walking with people through their pain so they can find healing and integration because pain's a natural part of living in this broken world. Right. I love that. Okay, we need to keep moving. Otherwise, we could be here all day on this. Uh, let's keep going. After Jesus, we're going we're gonna to jump forward. In verse 24, Jesus sends his disciples away. And actually, I'm going to back up just into the second half of verse 23. It says, later that night, Jesus was on the mountainside alone. The boat that the disciples were in was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, guys. It's me. Don't be afraid. And then Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come out on the water. Come on, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, 
He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Oh, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And then when they'd climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, typically when I teach this, when I spend time with it, the natural thing is to focus on Peter getting out of the boat, which is understandable, right? I mean, it's amazing that how Jesus met him there. But as this whole coronavirus shutdown has happened, it's caused me to have a new lens when I look at scripture. And as I'm reading it, I'm noticing things that I'd never noticed before. And what I noticed this time through wasn't what Jesus did, but rather what he didn't do. Because Jesus could have easily calmed the storm before he ever took a step out onto the lake, right? He could have caused the winds to stop, the waves to stop, and it would have been very, very smooth walking all the way out to the boat. But he didn't do that. And he, at least not initially. Instead, he met the disciples in the middle of the storm as the waves are rocking the boat. He meets them in the midst of it. And why do you suppose that he did that? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't afraid of the circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was teaching mm-hmm. them something in the midst of that because one day, well, one day they would be without him. Mm-hmm. And so there's this beautiful presence that Jesus offers to us in the midst of our circumstances that kind of transcends our, our understanding. And, um, and I think just, even if, even if I could just say that it was him extending his presence saying, I've got you look to me. Mm. I was looking at this a little bit and, um, I, there might be more, but you know, the, when I looked into it, there was like 165 different passages in scripture, depending on your translation, that there was the do not be afraid, do not mm-hmm. despair. Mm-hmm. And in all of those, as I was doing just my own kind of Bible study and, and deepening my understanding, um, it was notable that um, every time that God was saying that, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the exact words, don't be afraid, because of course we're going to be afraid. I mean, sure. he, we have a high priest that understands he went through everything. You know, we, sure. we know he, he has experienced yep. being afraid. He, he was afraid in the Garden of Gethsemane. Absolutely. So it's not, it's not that kind of prescriptive thing. I think it was more about him letting them know who he was, mm. something about his character. Yeah. And so I, as I was looking through in my own study, I saw that... There was, there was an action oriented around it where God was offering his, his strength and his comfort saying, I'm here. I mean, he actually did say like, I'm, I'm here take courage in yeah. one of the translations. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Yes. Take yes. And so when I was looking at it, it was, it was either God's, God stating in the other scriptures, what he's doing or already has done, mm-hmm. or he was just offering his presence. Okay. And I think in this instance, yeah. he was offering his presence yeah. and, and it was enough. It's yeah. just, it's hard. So then when he questioned his faith, it wasn't like that we can't question our faith. I think it's a maturity of trusting, yeah. trusting that. Yeah. I think of what would have been lost if Jesus had calmed the storm, had stilled the winds before he ever stepped foot out onto the water. What would have been lost is the interaction he had with Peter. 
that was a powerful moment for Peter to recognize the, the, the wind and the waves are always going to be there. Life is always going to throw things at us. But Jesus can help me walk through it in a way that I'm not overcome by him. And then secondly, mm-hmm. man, it has a powerful impact on his disciples when he gets in the boat and all of a sudden the storm ceases. They're left declaring, surely you are the son of God. Like they, what they, they come to realize about him, it just solidifies the foundation of their faith. And this has been, I've been thinking a lot about it because at the end of the day, I recognize that God could cause the coronavirus to go away completely in a heartbeat. He could just say stop and it would stop. And all of our parks could open up and we could go back to doing life as we regularly did. But he has not chosen to do so. He's allowed this virus to continue to run across the planet. And it has affected our lives in really negative ways, in ways that we don't want it to. We want it to go away. And I think that he's saying the same thing to us in the midst of it. Don't be afraid. Not just don't fear. I, that, that's never worked for no, me whenever I say, I say that to you or I say it to one of our kids. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, great. That works really well. Don't be afraid. But he's saying don't be afraid because I'm here with you. He's yes. with us in the storms. Absolutely. I think there's an invitation here, just as he had with Peter, just as he, the disciples witnessed of, of this um, kind of just presence of God and what he does in that with us. Um, I looked actually later because Peter, that was, that was Peter's interaction with Jesus. And later in the scriptures, you know, Peter wrote two epistles, yep. um, two letters in the Bible. And later you see him, you know, if you look in first Peter one, it's this, it's a, it's a totally different Peter mm. that he, he has matured in his faith and understanding and in his trusting that he's now teaching others that, you know, it's, it's joy in the suffering. It's trusting the God, God even if you can't see him. Yeah. I mean, it's just... He's learned through this. Yeah, it's, and that's what I said. It's, it's this part of the problems and pain in life. They bring us to this mental and spiritual maturity mm-hmm. that I think God has for us. And we just miss out. We miss out when we don't enter into those spaces, create time to really reflect and identify what's going on in our hearts and minds because it's, it's real mm-hmm. and that he meets us there and there's something that happens there that is just beyond yeah, understanding. I love that. Yeah. Okay, last question. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of us that are feeling like we are in the middle of a storm right now. The, the waves of uh, quarantine and joblessness and bills coming in and not a whole lot of money coming in all of these kind of things, and even the unknown of a, a you know, a, a virus that stalks the streets and we can't even see it um, and is claiming lives, all of these things can feel overwhelming and we are feeling a lot. We're discouraged. What would you recommend as a, a therapist to people who are walking in the midst of it? What would you want to encourage us in? I think for for me, it's it's just simply saying, well, first of all, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're feeling is normal. Mm-hmm. There's a collective grief going on here. There's individual grief. I, I do want to note as well, because this is a part of my story, is I have some trauma in my past. So sometimes when you deal with these things, if, if anyone else is kind of feeling really overwhelmed, having a hard time managing 
perhaps it's just because it's bringing up other losses and trauma that you've had in your life mm-hmm. and that that's okay. Um, and, you know, in my life, I know Eric and myself have, have even had a professional walk with us in that. Um, so if you're feeling that way, uh, let, let Pastor Jeff, let Pastor Eric know. We can um, provide referrals. But maybe it's just giving yourself five minutes of space, ten minutes of space. Um, again, you don't have to sit with it all day. But just begin to let bubble up whatever whatever's there. Um, with my with my clients, um, in a way that kind of feels like you can have some handlebars, um, sometimes on the daily, so you don't have to wait for it to bubble up. You can just in the AM and the PM, um, ask yourself questions like today I'm feeling, you know, Mm. and then the next question, there's four questions today I'm feeling. And then, um, I will make today, um, enjoyable and interesting by, you know, Mm. and then the third question is, Today, what I will, um, I'm going to do for someone else, like some type of service to someone mm. else. And then a gratitude. It can literally take five minutes, but it can reorient our day. And, and what I was sharing with you guys even before we started this is I think that sometimes we um, overcomplicate what it means to tend to our sorrow. It can literally be just as easy as I'm feeling sad. Mm. I'm feeling sad today or I'm feeling scared. And then that, that feeling of it's okay. This was, this is normal to feel that. And then ask yourself, what do I need? Do I need something out of that? Pray, invite God's presence. in. there's something that you see in here that just happens. That is beautiful. Um, that we need, we need God in this with us, but we don't need to come perfectly because you know, he, he, he came the same way to God. Right. Mm -hmm. So we can as well. Um, so I don't know if that, that no, makes sense, really but just some, get, allowing yourself some space and grace just yeah. to be where you are. I love that. Um, the, the power of naming our pain, of just acknowledging that it's there, uh, really does kind of take away the power of it in some ways and allow us to begin to sit with it. Because right. God gave us nerves for a reason. We feel pain for a reason. It's actually a gift. That's something that Bill said last week. That's something you're saying this week. Right. Our pain is not an aberration, something that we need to get rid of, something that's an unwelcome guest. Our pain is a part of life, but it's also the place where God can meet us and grow our faith exponentially. Right, right. In fact, we really need it. We We need it to grow. I love what Bill was saying. And as we walk into that, there's actually like treasures to be found. And our false self starts to hollow out and, and we start to actually start living in the truth. And when we, we, when we bring God into it, when we invite him in, cause I think there has to be a willingness on our part. That's intimacy with self. And then we bring intimacy with God and it's like, ah, meet me here. And then in that way we can have intimacy with others. We can have that compassion to be able to an extent, to be a listening ear for someone else and to not judge, not fix, but just to be mm. with someone else the way that we experience God being with us. I love that. Well, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Oh, Father, thank you that you made us, you know us, yeah. that you walk with us, that you care about what's going on inside of us, that you desire for us just to bring ourselves to you, our whole selves to you. 
kind of naked and unashamed or unafraid and just saying, this is what's going on. And God, I pray that you would um, help us to have courage just to let, let bubble up whatever, whatever kind of comes up and to invite you into that, God. I, I pray that we would experience more of you. I pray that we would experience the joy that your presence so, so beautifully offers. Um, God, I thank you that you're with us and we're not alone. So God, we just give this time to you. We just ask that you do with it what you will. Um, and I pray that we just wouldn't feel alone anymore. We would, we would know that we have each other, but what we have you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I want to thank you uh, for being with us. And we're going to go into a time of response. So Cheyenne's going to come up uh, and we're going to respond to this. But I also want to encourage you. I know that there's so much more that we would have loved to get into and go deeper in. And so I think right. that... Uh, Kat and I are going to probably write one or two devotionals this week that we'll send out. If you're not currently receiving those, all you need to do is email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. We'll make sure you're on the mailing list because we do want to grapple a little bit more with this. But let's go ahead and respond now.